The following program is a production of Beach Booster Radio. Beach Corner with Diana Chickie is sponsored by Exchanging Vows Bridal Boutique in Collingwood, Ontario. Visit exchangingvowsbridalboutique.com for all your wedding and formal wear needs. Hi, I'm Damien Walsh-Howling and you're listening to Beach Booster Radio. I'm Diana Chickie with Beach Corner on BeachBoosterRadio.com, your backstage pass for all your entertainment. I'm delighted to announce my exclusive Beach Corner interview via Skype from Melbourne, Australia, with film director, writer and actor Damien Walsh Howling, one of Australia's most accomplished charming actors. Damien has an impressive list of film and television credits along with many accolades. He is one of four winners of the International Lexus short film series announced at the 2015 Napa Valley Film Festival in California back in November. He is best known for playing tattooed killer Benji in the acclaimed first season of Underbelly, one of Australia's highest ever rating television programs and the first of the highly successful screen time produced series. Damien also plays Owen Ramsey and Janet King, currently airing on CBC Selects, a former police prosecutor willing to cut corners to win high-profile cases. This is a political thriller that follows senior Crown Prosecutor Janet King as she returns from maternity leave. At the time of the interview, Damien was working on a pre-production, part of his International Lexus short film series win, scheduled to begin shooting in April. Don't go away, we'll be right back with my special guest via Skype from Melbourne, Australia, Damien Walsh Howling. You're listening to Beach Corner, brought to you by Exchanging Bows Bridal Boutique in Collingwood on Beach Booster Radio, with Saga Beaches only, truly local radio. Hello, I'm Margaret Atwood, and you're listening to BeachBoosterRadio.com. You're listening to Beach Corner on BeachBoosterRadio.com. Today, via Skype from Australia, is my exclusive Beach Corner interview with film director, writer, and actor Damien Walsh Hyling, one of Australia's most accomplished actors with an impressive list of film and television credits, along with many accolades. He is one of four winners of the International Lexus Short Film Series, announced at the 2015 Napa Valley Film Festival in California back in November. He's best known for playing tattooed killer Benji in the acclaimed first season of Underbelly, one of Australia's highest ever rating television programs and the first of the highly successful screen time produced series. Welcome to Beach Corner, Damien. Thank you very much, Diana. Much appreciated. What an honor to have you on the show. First, I would like to wish you a happy belated birthday. You recently celebrate on January 22nd. (laughs) Thank you very much. I was 21 years old again. You look wonderful. And secondly, congratulations on your recent win at the International Lexus Short Film Series. How does it feel having this prestigious award? Oh, 
I mean, seriously, it was one of the most incredible experiences in terms of feeling in my life. I mean, when I found out that I won, I guess I, I entered on the last day of the whole competition and when they got in contact with me only like a week later to tell me that I'd won, I, I, I literally I literally nearly fell over in the street. Uh, I was in Sydney at the time. I live in Melbourne, which is south of Sydney in Australia, but I was in Sydney at the time and, uh, yeah, I thought I was going to need an oxygen bottle. It's, a, it's, a, it's an extremely exciting thing because as a as a director these sorts of opportunities to have a film funded to this degree and to also have you know the Weinstein company behind it is you know it's incredible that's wonderful wonderful. so you have an incredible work history performing various characters in television films and theater as well as being an ambassador for Habitat Australia to name a few you grew up watching your mother Iris she's a theater actor at Melbourne Pratt Factory along with some TV guest roles at what age did you decide to pursue an acting career well, you know, to be honest, it's it's sort of almost predates my memory. To, you know, I, I just remember from being a very small child watching my mother rehearse in the theatres around Melbourne and particularly at La Mama and the Pram Factory, as you mentioned. I was just there with my brother. We were running around. My parents were hippies. They didn't have money for, you know, for they probably wouldn't like me saying that, but they didn't have money for babysitters. And so I got to have this magical childhood where I would always be at the rehearsal process and actually over time watching adults really develop pieces of theatre and do these other things and I I would sit and watch probably more so than my brother I would just sit and and I was transfixed by the process so ever since I was young I've had a passion for it without a doubt ever since you know I can remember so how was your experience at the Atlantic Acting School in New York City with writer-director David Mamet who taught Madonna to act yeah, so that was a, it was an amazing experience. I mean, you know, that was something that I did after I'd done a series here for four years, uh, playing a, a cop in a series here called Blue Healers. And I just had this inkling that I should go out and, and sort of break the pattern of what I'd done of that four years because, you know, being in a network television show for that long, you can build up some habits, some good, some probably bad. So I, I hopped over to New York and uh, did this, this, this course and... Um, you know, it opened my eyes in so many ways, both to techniques and ideas that I hadn't that I hadn't fully explored. I mean, I'd explored them to some certain degree, and also to my own intuition and realizing that you know you bring techniques to what you do rather than trying to become something that a school makes you into. And that's Mammoth's philosophy: is stay out of school, even though there's a school there, but stay out of school and learn about life and learn about yourself. We all have our own technique, and whatever beauty, beauty and vulnerability. And darkness that we have in us is what needs to be available, you know, as a, as a performer. So where do you draw your inspirations for some of the roles you portray? Uh, different places. I mean, I, I think it's a mixture of – I've gone through different answers on this question in the past, but I, it really when I look back at it, I've been doing this professionally for 25 years and, you know, as a person for nearly 40 years probably. I'm 45 years old now. So, you know, since I was a young kid. So I think the inspiration comes from both my environment and what I see around me as well as turning – you know, aspects of myself up and down. And so I heard it once said, you know, this is not my quote, but I loved it. It's like being in a a music studio and having an eight track or a 16 track or a 32 track or a billion track where you can move different, you know, knobs up and down dependent on what you want to turn up and down in yourself. So I I feel like it's, 
something that once you get a sense of the role, you can drop in and if you can if you can step out of the way, which you can't always do, but when you can step out of the way, the role will start to play itself through through your own instrument. And of all the characters you've done, do you have a favorite? Uh, you mentioned Benji earlier, Benji Veniamin. Uh, Andrew Veniamin was his, his real name, who uh, was the character I played in the Underbelly series. And to be honest, that was not only one of the most dynamically written roles that I've that I've ever been, you know, able to play, but it was also at that time it wasn't so long since the whole gangland war had gone down in Melbourne. It's a true story. So I felt I felt very honoured to be able to step in a story that was real, and there was also a sense of responsibility which I loved. You know, to, to actually try and find the human heart in all of these, in the story and in these people. You know, in the characters that we were playing, rather than just going, "Oh, this is about guns and drugs and violence and all of these other things." It was actually finding the heart in the piece and the heart in these people. So in a way, it was a very special opportunity, and it was just one of those jobs Diana where everything is fortunately composed all the performers the writing the director you know the way that the producers uh, came at it they just sort of it, it, it was sort of a magical experience and certain actors were you know sort of going off page a little bit and dialogue was starting to flow not a lot of it but you know they were just we were starting to just do our own thing a little bit and that was allowed to a certain degree and I think when there's that freedom still with the structure and the direction of the director and the producers and the writers then you, you have a really collaborative experience and you end up with a show that does as well as Underbelly did internationally. You know, it did very well. And that's, and that's the reason I say that is because it's not so usual for Australian stuff to do well at that level, say, in America or overseas. Mm-hmm. So what do you enjoy most about your career? Ah, the, the opportunity to play and tell stories and to collaborate with other people. I teach a lot now too and, and I really – I started teaching at a time where it was very quiet for me and maybe I had about a year there where I wasn't doing much, so I started teaching. And I was some, funnily enough, I was somewhat reticent to teach. I guess I didn't think that I had anything to offer. And the first class I walked into, I just suddenly I felt so at home in a, in a sense teaching and, and loved it. And I felt like it was more facilitating than anything. And the point to that is that as that went on, I realized there was so much that I had to learn. There was so much that I could grow and, and share and that there was, it was sort of a co-facilitation with the students. So, you know, moving from that to directing has been a really natural and exciting part of my career. And, you know, at the moment, I'm really particularly enjoying that side of things. It's, it's more of a challenge than anything. And that's the thing that, that makes me slightly nervous at the same time. And you always, I think you, you know, Hugh Jackman said this once, you always want to be slightly nervous about what you're doing because it means you care. That's what I hear, yes. So I understand in a reef where you won the Best Actor Award at the 2012 A Night of Horror International Film Festival, you encountered a camouflaged stonefish, one of the most oh. poisonous creatures in the ocean. Can you tell us about this incident? Oh, my Lord, you've done your research? Yeah, that was, um, I've got to say, and I'm going to, you know, you might have to beep this out, but I went down like a bag of shit. <laughs> saying, a saying that we had in Australia, have in Australia. I Look, I, we were walking through the water, and the film, the irony is the film is about sharks and being eaten by sharks, uh, big, great white sharks, and uh, we were walking along the most beautiful day, blue sunshine, we were about in our waist deep in the water, the crew in between shots laughing, and all of a sudden, I cannot tell you the experience, but it was like a mixture of um, 
electric shock and childbirth in the foot. Uh, it was that painful. Uh, it's neurotoxin. So it stepped on this stonefish, which they say is the most poisonous creature in the ocean. And if you get too much of that poison, they can kill you in, in up to two minutes. Wow. Um, luckily, not enough poison got in, but I was rushed to hospital on oxygen bottles and all sorts of things, and wow. it shut the production down for, for a day. And you can probably hear it in my voice. I still, I still uh, get shivers when I think about it. I did actually have the classic, you know, it's a cliche to say it, but I had the classic, you know, life flashed before the eyes. Ooh. And I, you know, I, I'm not afraid to say it. I started crying when they were racing me to the, uh, to the ambulance in the, in the speedboat because I thought, what, it all ends here in this sunny weather? I can't oh, my it. gosh, the hazard of the job, eh, at some times? <laughs> do, you yeah, have, <laughs> do you have a preferred medium for acting, such as television, films, or theater? You know what? I, I like all of them equally, and I think, you know, I really, you know, I get a certain particular buzz out of working on camera, and television is... Is, is so close to film now. I mean, the way that it's... There used to be a really a really big distinction between the two, but the way that the craft of television is, is being done now is, is much more akin to the way film was always done. So, you know, I love working on camera. However, I just did my first uh, theatre show in seven years. I used to do a lot of theatre, but it had been a while, and I did uh, Glen Gary, Glen Ross um, mm-hmm. in a theatre in Perth, and it was uh, 600... See theatre, so quite a big space, and I really, really enjoyed that at State Theatre Company and um, at Black Swan Theatre Company. They're a really brilliant company, and you know, it's a beautiful piece written by David Mamet, um, won the Pulitzer Prize, and that was a real buzz every night. You know, I, I, it reminded me of how much I do love theatre. But I, I think at the moment, storytelling for me, really, most of it takes place in the film medium. In your role as Benji in the Australian underworld drama, which garnered the Best Supporting or Guest Actor in Drama series at the 2008 Australian Film Institute Awards, you went through quite a physical change. You you had a muscled-up body, shaved head, and tattoos. How did you prepare for this character? Oh, there's so many different layers to that, but in terms of the, the you know, the muscularity and stuff, I mean, he was a kickboxer, so I just got in. We had six weeks, so I got into the gym. I, I trained a bit anyway, so I got into the gym and just added <laughs> added weights to the, to the <laughs> regimen. Um, and then we, believe it or not, it was a 17-hour process to put on those first tattoos uh, in, a, in a tattoo parlor and then the makeup artists uh, they didn't end up liking that design very much so then they walked off after 17 hours <laughs> then two days later we went back in and did a 12 hour application and this is quite a funny story I would have to wake up every morning with a hospital grade pen and dot put dots where wherever the the image had sweated off or the outline of the image had sweated off so my girlfriend at the time would be dotting my back or if she wasn't there I'd be reaching over the back to dot, you know, back of my shoulder and stuff, and it would come off on my sheets. It was pretty funny, but um, in terms of the psychological process, it was quite a it was quite a big thing. I ended up going down to the boxing gym where where Andrew trained um, because he he died, and so you know I didn't I wasn't able to meet him. Um, so I went down to the boxing gym where he trained and met a whole lot of his friends and. Uh, and his boxing trainer, and uh, trained with him. Only I only went down there a couple of times. It wasn't like I did months of training, but just those two periods of a couple of hours each was enough to give me, you know, a lot of stories. I spoke to police officers who'd been involved with him. Um, And, you know, I really, I watched footage of him. I did all sorts of things. But in the end, I think that was the role I was saying earlier. That was the role that really taught me to let go. 
you know, once I'd done all that research, something something interesting happened, and I just I think because it was such a sense of responsibility, I just I just let go. I just went, you know what, this is not about anything but being present in the scene and it'll play you know hopefully it'll play itself and it was it was a magical experience it really was well joining me today via skype from australia is damien walsh Harling. you're listening to beach corner on beachboosterradio.com is your new or existing business looking for recognition in wasaga beach beach booster group is your one-stop shop for all things local all things promotional Beach Booster will succeed in creating a complete local promotional package that can include high-profile outdoor, prints, and radio promotion of your business and services. Beach Booster's community events offer additional opportunity for visible participation of your company in the Wasaga Beach area. Beach Booster Promotions also specializes in all types of promotional products and apparel to help you create your local and professional profile. Contact us at info at beachbooster.com or call 705-241-9762. We are local. We are Wasaga Beach. We are Beach Booster. Welcome back to Beach Corner on BeachBoostRadio.com with my guest via Skype from Australia, Damien Walsh Howling. So playing the role of Mac in The Secret Life of Us, you were on stage pretending to be a rock star. Is this something you wish to add to your career? <laughs> you know, that's so funny you asked me that, Diana, because I, I actually went to see a Led Zeppelin tribute night two nights ago in Melbourne, which was really fantastic. And the only other thing that I would ever want to do with my life since I was younger, and I wish I had the voice for it, is to be a rock singer. I mean, it was just something that I love. I was into ACDC as a kid and I was into Zeppelin. You know, my mother was listening to the Beatles and Pink Floyd and my father was listening to, you know, other... So I was always into into music. Unfortunately, I can hold a tune, but I don't... I don't... I can't quite get the heights of those amazing singers and, and, and I fall out of tune probably too often to do that. But playing Mac was a lot of fun. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that, uh, that came up doing that was that that director said to me, you know, what is a rock star? You know, a rock star is just, is, is literally really, you know, some, some of them are really quiet on stage and others are really boisterous, but it's generally the ones that you respond to are the ones who are being themselves on stage. Something expressive is coming out of them, but they're not putting it on. You, you can see when someone's putting it on. Um, and so she said, you know, I just just enjoy the experience and hopefully that will bring the rock star out in you uh, and I hope that's what happened on the show but it was a lot of fun doing it but actually funnily enough the guy who recorded the voice for me was playing guitar behind me in the series so I, I always had him I always had him just behind me thinking because I was miming his voice so it was pretty it was pretty funny oh how cool so last June you performed on stage as Ricky Roma and Glen Gary Glenn Ross which you mentioned earlier who uses the F word a lot so oh. tell us about his character now I hear it was like what over 137 times you used the F word in this episode oh my god this guy does not stop using the F word um and, you know, that, that so, you know, I, I, when I went to the launch of the whole thing, I put it this way, when I went to the launch of the whole theatre piece at Black Swan, which was probably a year before we put the show on, and there were a whole lot of, you know, quite conservative, uh, you know, subscribers in the audience and stuff, and they asked me to come and talk. So I just said, look, 
I'm going to say a really wor- rude word, and we're in this big theatre, and I dropped the F-bomb, and then I said, you know, I know it's a rude word, I know that it's, you know, it, it, there's a lot of shock involved with that word in this environment, but put it in the put it in the mouth of Ricky Roma through the pen of David Mamet, who's one of the greatest writers of all time, and you're going to go on the most incredible, dexterous ride of language and beauty. I mean, it's just the most incredible piece. It won the Pulitzer Prize in 84. It was a real honour to do this piece. It feels like, you know, I don't know, but it feels like it was channelled by David Mamet. It was one of those moments where just channel something. And to work with the other seven that show and all of us to be able to swear at each other like that and laugh and it's just it's it, they call it poetry of the profane and that's exactly what it is and Ricky Roma is a uh, yeah he's a he's a, a mover and shaker he's someone who's trying to survive and there's a lot of vulnerability in the play you know people don't think about that so much but it's really about men in a desperate situation trying to sell real estate and really it was the original Wolf of Wall Street in a sense wow well considering I was a past realtor <laughs> which is interesting yeah <laughs> you also it's, it's, it's always fun to play with that sort of Chicago New York accent that you know that that part of the US I really love that Eastern Coast sort of you know, thing. Right. That's wonderful. So you also work with Steven Spielberg on the epic series Terra Nova. How was that experience? Oh, it was amazing. I've got to say, though, I have to be honest, Steven never came on set, so I never met him. Oh. Uh, but no, so he didn't direct, he produced that series. Um, and, and, you know, that's always funny. It looks great on paper. <laughs> and then you go, but he was never there. Um, but no, it was a, an amazing experience. And, um, the director, the original director on that was was really incredible. He he came to Australia and he'd done a lot of the West Wing and and other shows. Um, and meeting him uh, was just you know quite amazing. And when I was cast, it was it was the irony was that I'd been coming back and forward to the states a number of times um, for pilot season and stuff like that. And I finally got cast in this series. And, uh, and the irony was they were shooting in Hawaii, but then they decided, no, we're going to shoot in Queensland in Australia. So I got my first US series, but we ended up shooting close to back home. You know, it's, it's a distance from here, but it's in my country. Um, <laughs> that is funny. But it was a fun, it was a really fun experience. And, you know, running around pretending to run away from dinosaurs and stuff was, uh, was very different. <laughs> so you're acting, you're an acting coach at Brave Studios. So what is the most important element for an actor to learn? Wow. You know, it's, it's interesting. And a number of people have sort of said this over the years. But I think really to get in touch with um, your own ability to get out of, I said it earlier, to get out of your own way, you know. Um, I think people come out looking to learn something like you would learn to build a house or, or whatever else it is. And, of course, there are skills involved. There's many skills involved, and I don't step back from that. There's a real craft. But I think the most important thing is to be able to be present with your own vulnerability which will allow you access to all of your fierceness and and all of the sensitivity that you have and the spectrum in between. A, a lot of the time, I think people. This is this really. Uh, this is what I've come to anyway. Is that a lot of people are talking to performers about letting go of you know their self doubt or whatever it is. But I, I say the opposite. I say don't let go of it. Allow it to be there. And if you allow it to be there, but put your attention where it needs to be in the scene, it will dissolve behind you, and you will have access to a whole lot of things because your vulnerability. We're all vulnerable. We everybody has their sense of 
you know, whatever it is, we have our sense of self-confidence and our sense of self-doubt. Why throw one away? One without the other doesn't work. You wouldn't know one without the other. So, you know, I think quite often students feel like they've got to become something to be a performer and really... No, what we're looking for is irreverence, not reverence, irreverence, respect, but irreverence and a sense of collaboration and remembering, someone told me this once, I just think it's the greatest key ever, remembering that the power of your performance really is in the other person or other people you're working with. So that's your sphere of influence in the scene is you're trying to affect the other person. It's not about you. It's about what you're trying to get the other person or the people in the thing to do so I mean that gets that I'm getting deep there but I, mm-hmm. but I just really think that you know actors think it's about themselves and I've, I've done plenty of that we're very narcissistic at times but you know I think you can be in any walk of life but it's just remembering to give and to continually work and that won't always happen you'll be selfish at times and that's fine too but it's just it's just that thing of continually remembering that it's it's out there mm-hmm Gotcha. So your short film, Suspended, was selected to screen at the Cannes Film Festival. Can you tell us about this film? Because it's quite unique. Yeah. yeah, it's a very exciting film. A uh, very exciting experience to have that film selected at, at such prestigious festivals. And, you know, and to run around the world with it was a lot of fun. Um, uh, it's, it's based on my childhood. It's, a, it's slightly autobiographical. Um, and it's about a little boy growing up in a, in a family. Uh, and he's, I guess, searching for his... For the magic in life, he's searching externally for that magic and he's looking to his parents to try and find it everywhere and he meets a blind man who lives next door and the blind man just is able to, I guess, in a sense, carry the child into an ability to, to see with his own heart, to be able to, you know, I guess he's lost his vision and so he's learned to see with his heart rather than just with his eyes. Um, and so really that's what it's about. If I, if I say too much more, it gives, it gives the film away. But, um, yeah, it's a special film. And, you know, obviously elements of it are really embellished. I've embellished the magic in it and also the, the schisms in the family and stuff like that. And in, in the film, you know, the little boy is, is having a lot of trouble communicating with his parents, which I never had. But, but you know, there always has to be conflict in a story. But it's, um, yeah, no, it, it was a beautiful experience making it. So as a director, what do you look for in an actor? Wow. Uh, it goes back to what I was saying before, an, an ability to be vulnerable and to be real. And um, I think there's two, two answers to that question. It's, it's what I just said. And then it's also just a specific je ne sais quoi that is, uh, you know, related to the particular role that you're casting. You know, people quite often say to me, you know, when are you going to put yourself in your own stuff? And I, and I always say, when I write a role that I think I'm right for, <laughs> there have been roles that the age was right and, and, you know, I might look right for it, but there's maybe another actor that I see that has a quality that I go, no, 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 that person is way more what I see in my mind. It's just an intuitive thing. And if you've created something, then you have a sense of what that is. And for me so far, it's been that I've just seen that person or I've met them and gone, wow, like the little boy in my film, Suspended, mm-hmm. Um, he is he's amazing Finn McLeod Island his name is and um, I think he goes by Finn McLeod or Finn Island now but anyway Finn was seven when when we were you know getting the film together and I'd known him since he was a little boy but I hadn't seen him for years we were sitting and I just looked across the table he was eating a hamburger I asked him a question and I looked at his mum and I said that's my kid I hadn't even cast anybody yet I hadn't even done auditions and she's a casting agent she said to me Finn and I said yeah well you know you're too close to him I, I really think he just had an ability to hold my attention 
and hold his own attention on the conversation, but he had this vulnerability and this sort of... Uh, he's trying to put a fence in front of it as well, so there was just this complexity... And I just felt like the audience will fall in love with this kid. So I worked with him for a year. His father's an actor and, and he worked with him as well. And it was just a magical experience. He just, he's, he's a magical kid. Everybody talks about him. He's now doing, I can't say which films, but he's doing some huge uh, Hollywood, really big Hollywood films. Wow, good for him. So how important are film festivals for filmmaker? Oh, are you kidding me? The film festivals are paramount in importance for, for for filmmakers. You know, that's where that's where the whole springboard happens for the distribution of a film, but also for an audience to see the film. Apart from wider distribution, just the experience of being at a film festival and being able to have your your piece of work seen, you get a sense of how an audience feels about it. You get a sense of of where where the rises and falls are. Um, and I think film festival audiences are different in some ways than people who just generally go to the cinema. I, I don't mean... I mean, there are many people who do both, but I think when people take the time out to go to a film festival, it means they're passionate about the craft, they're passionate about film. And um, it, there's always... You know, there's that environment of every, everything going on around the cinemas, but the cinema has this power to draw you in. So even if you're in the festival environment, you're, you're locked into this space for the period of time that you're watching this film or these films and to me there's a certain magic at film festivals that um you know people people are appreciative in a way that that is is really heartwarming as a filmmaker to see and then beyond that i mean you know as a short filmmaker where else are your films seen you know until they're seen there they're not bought by anybody or or put onto networks or you know we've been lucky to, to sell my films uh to a couple of territories and to mtv in europe and stuff like that and that's that's been a really exciting aspect of it too because all of that ends up on the cv and allows you to when you're going for funding of course mm-hmm. of course this is not i'm not putting this down, I'm saying, of course, people want to know that there's the possibility that your films are marketable or bankable because without that, you know, commerce has to meet art. There's just no, in this situation, you know, um, if you want to get, if you want to get bums on seats, you know, the art has to be there and it has to be intrinsically valuable, but, but there also has to be a commercial aspect and you can't, you can't separate one from the other. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm saying that because, you know, we have the Wasaga Film Festival in Wasaga Beach, and perhaps we can have the pleasure of seeing you at, at our annual Wasaga Film Festival Red Carpet Gala Awards in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's see what happens. It's, it's uh, always dependent on where, you know, where I am in the world and what's going on, but yeah. So <laughs> now that you won the International Lexus Short Film Series, what's next for Damien for 2016? Well, basically making that film. So winning the short film series means that um, four of us from around the world get mm-hmm. to make our own film. And Alexis Michelic, who's the uh, the French, was the French winner. And it's, it gets confusing because his name is Alexis. And this uh, this whole uh, program is obviously Lexus Cars. So Alexis and Lexus. But Lexus, you know, the fact that Lexus put this together, and as uh, here I, you know, here I'm speaking about what I spoke about before, is that you can't separate the corporate from the, you know, the mm-hmm. fact that that this car company is putting their energy into this creative field and giving the opportunity to filmmakers is just, it's, it's, it's incredible, you know? Um, but yeah, so Lex, Alexis, the French guy has just made his film in Paris. So he's in the middle of post-production. I think next they're making the Korean, um, 
the Korean entrance film. Uh, his name is Byungun Moon, and he's an amazing wow, filmmaker. Good he for won, you to say that. He, won, he just says Moon. He says, my name's Moon, and or Moon. Um, but Moon won, uh, Byungun won uh, Khan, I think it was last year or the year before, with his last short film. So he's a very accomplished filmmaker. Um, and then in April, we'll be shooting my film. So we've got about two and a half months now, and obviously we're going into pre-production very soon. Mm-hmm. So... Funnily enough, I'm busily writing away. As soon as I get off here, I've got a deadline today to get the second draft of the script in. So, you know, at the moment, the first half of 2016 is all going to be about making my film for the Lexus Short Film Competition, um, which is, you know, one of the most exciting periods of my life in recent years. Excellent. Well, last question, because I know you're busy. Where can we find more information? You can find more. <laughs> Try to- On Damien. <laughs> Try, try typing my name <laughs> into Google. That's one way. Um, if you can spell it, it's long. Um, and uh, I guess, you know, just keep an eye out for the film that comes through the Lexus Short Film okay. International through that competition. Um, I've just done a series, actually, funnily enough. Uh, we've done the second series of a show that I do, a second season called Janet King. Mm-hmm. Um, and Janet King has been on in Canada, and I think it's the CBC Network. Okay. Uh, you might want to do a little bit of research on that and let the viewers know. But I play a Crown Prosecutor in that series, and the first series was already on in Canada. Um, and we've just finished the second series. It's just been bought by Netflix, so it's pretty exciting. Um, yes, and I play a, a sort of uh, a nasty – well, he's not only nasty, but a, a nasty-style um, – Crown prosecutor in the in the court system. So wow. watch I, out for that. We'll have to check it out. Well, thank you, Damien, for being my guest and wishing you continued success with your films and acting career and hope to have the pleasure of seeing you in Canada. Thanks, Diana. And thank you very much, Canada, for listening, if you stayed listening. <laughs> and if you didn't, well, you can go and, as Ricky Roma says, you, no, I won't say that. I'll leave. <laughs> You're listening to Beach Corner on BeachBoostRadio.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this break. I'm Dale Goldhawk, and you're listening to BeachBoosterRadio.com. Well, this is a wrap for me. I would like to thank Damien Walsh Howling for taking time out of his busy schedule and look forward to his upcoming films in the near future. A special thanks to Carol Romanella, designer and owner of OmGen, for making this interview possible. With Beach Corner on Beach Booster Radio, I'm Diana Chickie. Beach Corner now available on podcasts with a new weekly show anytime from our new Beach Booster Radio podcast page. Simply click the podcast button from our homepage to enjoy our unique and local programming. Beach Corner is a regular feature in Beach Booster Publication. If you would like to be featured on Beach Corner, please contact Diana at BeachBooster.com. I welcome your visit to my Facebook and Twitter pages. Bye-bye, everyone. The preceding program is a production of Beach Booster Radio. Written, recorded, and produced in Wasaga Beach, Ontario. We thank you for listening to Beach Booster Radio, Wasaga Beach's only locally owned and operated radio station. We are local. We are Wasaga Beach. We are Beach Booster. Hi, this is Brian Smith, Mayor of the Town of Wasaga Beach, and you're listening to Beach Booster Radio.